Today I want to just jump right into the meat of God's Word. Over the last several weeks, we've been on a series entitled Love Made Away. How many of you would agree that love is a powerful force in our lives? See, love has the power to restore relationships. Love has the power to build our esteem. Love has the power to heal us. Love is a powerful thing. But the reason why love is so much more powerful than what we know is because it's God's love that is powerful that, and is at work in our lives. And so over the last couple of weeks, we looked at a couple of points, and I'm not going to get too much into them, but we learned uh, uh, the first week of this series a couple of weeks back that God's love made a way for us through Jesus. And we were looking at uh, John chapter 3, uh, an encounter that Jesus had with a man named Nicodemus. And he basically says to him in verse 16, he says, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes should not perish but have eternal life. What's interesting about that uh, verse is that the word perish there means to go wayward, to be lost, to not be able to find your way. And so when God decided... When God implemented his plan to make a way for all mankind, it was by his love. See, his love makes a way for us. His love heals us. His love builds us. Uh, the second week of this series, we looked at God's, uh, how God's love operates by his grace and his truth. And while we don't have time to get into it, I'll just simply say this, that God's grace is the means by which we relate to God. It's not dependent upon what we do for God. It's based upon what he's done for us in Christ. Listen, religion will put the emphasis on you got to behave right. You got to dress right. You got to do right. You got to speak right. You got to look right. You got to act right. You got to cut this off. You got to cut that off. And while, look, those, we, may, we may be making some good choices there. The reality is that we're putting the emphasis on our efforts. We're putting the, 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 the focus on what we do for God. When in reality, our focus should be what Jesus has done for us. That is such a free. That will change you. God's grace. And we learned that God's truth is the lamp unto our feet. That it's the tool that God has given us to walk in this grace, to know his love, to walk in truth. And last week, we simply learned that God's love overcomes all fears. Now, I want you to consider this, that there is no area of our lives that God's love can't touch. There's no area of our lives that God can't... Uh, uh, that God's love can't heal, it can't restore, it can't build, it can't clarify. It addresses our past, it addresses our our sin of nature that we once had, it addresses our hopes, it addresses our doubts, it addresses our relationships. In every regard, God's love has a say. It is powerful to touch any and every area of our lives. And today I'd like to talk to you about forgiveness. I'd like to talk to you about the path of forgiveness To clarify that, I'd like to talk to you about how God's love has made a way for forgiveness. Now, for many of us, when we think about forgiveness, how many of you appreciate the fact that God has provided forgiveness for you past, present, and future? That's good news. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. We can all get excited about God's forgiveness for us, but I have a question. Why is it that sometimes for some people it's a greater struggle to accept and understand that that forgiveness is also good enough for people, for those that have offended us. And so today I want to start off with a story, and I'm going to recap this as opposed to reading it. Uh, It's a story of a a German soldier in 1945. He was caught at the end of the Nazi war. And this was a soldier, like many others in that time, that was unwillingly serving and fighting this war uh, for a cause 
uh, that was to destroy millions and millions of people. And this particular uh, gentleman found himself in a prison camp in Scotland. And uh, while he was there, one day what ended up happening was that they brought these pictures of what had happened in Belsen and in Auschwitz. And they put them all in front of their prison camp cells where these guys were all put together. And so day in and day out, they would look at the horrors that happened and they, they, they were haunted with terror and, and nightmares and things because of the things that they had experienced in war, they had seen in war, and they had done in war. It got to the point that it became such a torment to them that they, they started to wonder, was it worth living? They, they questioned, you know, is this what we fought for, for uh, the concentration camps to continue going on where people would get killed? Is this what we fought for so that Hitler could have a couple of more uh, months of life and, and, and his reign of terror to go on? And so in the midst of all that, there was this shame, there was this guilt, there there was this hurt, that was, there was this pain. And um, this, this, this particular uh, soldier found himself in the midst of all this, and that was his daily experience. Well, two years later in 1947, a group of uh, people that came from different parts of the world were uh, on uh, some sort of exploratory uh, trip, and they end up in this particular area of Scotland. And they wanted to visit uh, this particular prison to learn about the experiences, not just of the people that were victims during this time, but also uh, for the people that were the ones that initiated and inflicted such horror and pain. And so one particular uh, group amongst those people was a group of Dutch uh, Christians. And they wanted to uh, talk to these uh, prisoners of war that were formerly Nazis um, and asked them about this. But the thing about it is, uh, when they, they approached it, they spoke about the hurts that they had undergone. They spoke about the families that they lost. They, they spoke about the horrors that they witnessed um, and everything that they lost. But it wasn't from a standpoint of anger. It wasn't from a point of view of, of, of so much uh, uh, resentment. They were coming from a place of genuine forgiveness. And it was a forgiveness that was unexpected to these soldiers. And this particular man um, is this gentleman right here. Go back to the other picture. It's this gentleman right here that you see. And uh, the thing about it is that in the midst of those conversations with these Dutch, uh, uh, this group of Dutch Christians, um, he began to think about what they were talking about. And they were talking about a God who was loving and forgiving. And he had been given a, a Bible at one time by a priest that was passing by these, these prison camps in Scotland. And when he was given this Bible, in, in coupling with these conversations he had, he began to read about the Christ that suffered for all humanity. A Christ that was on a cross and understood what it felt like to be alone. And he reflected upon the words that said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But he reflected on the truths that he began to, re to receive about Christ, so much so to the extent that it revolutionized his life and he came to know Jesus. Well, what you may not know about this man is that in the 20th century, he became one of the forerunners of theologians. Um, and he, he's gone all over the world and he preached the gospel 
This man's life was completely changed. But it was changed, it was redeemed, it was restored, it was healed. And this man spent his life in service to people and to the kingdom. All because somebody not only told him about Jesus, but somebody extended him forgiveness. Extended him forgiveness. See, one of the central pieces to our faith in Christ is the redeeming power of God's love towards us and the forgiveness that it provides us for the past, for the present, and for the future. How many of us can attest to God's forgiveness being significant in our life, having a powerful impact? In our, oh, come on. You, you, you could do better than that. If Jesus is forgiving you and you've, you've received that, you embrace that, then you should be proud of that. Right, So it's a powerful thing, but while this revelation of God's love and His forgiveness is powerful, it is limited if we restrict its power just to our own lives. Let me put it to you this way. God didn't just forgive you. He provided forgiveness for the whole world. And there are many people today that don't want to hear about your Jesus, my Jesus. They don't want to hear about what God has done. But I will tell you this, there's one language they will understand. It's love. And in love, there's a revelation of God's goodness and His forgiveness. See, we can all uh, uh, rejoice at the forgiveness we've received, but we should also rejoice in the opportunity to forgive others because it's a direct resource that uh, opens the lives, uh, that opens the minds and the hearts of people to God's mercy and His goodness. I want us to turn this morning to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18. We're going to start in Matthew 18 and we're going to look at the words of Jesus in a parable. And starting at verse 21, uh, it's, we see that it's an encounter between Jesus and the disciples, specifically one of them who asked him a question. And so starting at verse 21, it says, Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but I say to you up to 70 times, seven times. Wow. How about that one for forgiveness? And so uh, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. And then the master of the servant was moved with compassion released him, and forgave him the debt. But the servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, pay me what you owe. And so this fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Sound familiar? And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. And so when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. 
Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. And so my heavenly father also will do to you if will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. In these verses what we find is Jesus teaching a kingdom principle. It's important to consider this for a moment as we get started here because I want you to remember that the Bible says that you were once in darkness but now you're in the kingdom of the son of his love. It's a new kingdom. And this new kingdom has new New, new, new manner, manners in which we're to live, uh, new, a new mindset that goes with it. It's a new life that goes with it. In other words, the kingdom of God, Jesus is presenting it here, and he's saying the kingdom of God is like this king. And he's presenting a principle that is necessary for us to understand. And this principle has to do with forgiveness. It's a forgiveness that we receive, but it's a forgiveness that we should also extend. That's what this kingdom of God that you pertain to calls for. It calls for forgiveness received, but it also calls for forgiveness that is extended. The common thinking in Jesus' day was that you should forgive up to three times. So Peter, in light of this this idea that he had, you know, it was probably something that was pressing upon his heart, comes to Jesus, he says, Jesus, how often should I forgive? How often should I forgive my brother? How often should I forgive that person that's offended me? That's wronged me? That person that's spoken bad about me? That person that's cursed me to my face? That person who's, who's belittled me? That person who's mistreated me? That person who owes me? That person who did me wrong? That person who turned their back on me? How many times should I forgive this person? And he says, up to seven times? See, Peter thought he was doing a good thing. Peter thought he was being very Christ-like. Peter thought that, you know, yeah, I mean, surely seven times. Surely. And Jesus says, I don't say to you, forgive up to seven times. Seventy times seven. And that's per offense. That's per offense. I don't know if I'm boring you right now or if you're just thinking about this, but I want you to consider this kingdom principle. The kingdom of God. We, we, we should remember that we come into this kingdom of God by God's forgiveness and love. And, and, but here's also what we should consider, that we introduce this kingdom by God's forgiveness and love. And here's, 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 let's really bring it home. We can talk to people about God's forgiveness, but can we live and extend that same forgiveness that we've received? It's a kingdom principle. See, the main idea of this parable is that because we've been forgiven freely, greatly, we also should forgive those that offend us to that same extent. See, when it comes to forgiveness, it's easier to accept that God loves us and forgives us than it is to love and forgive others. But this is exactly what Jesus was getting at. This is exactly what he was addressing. Now, 
In this parable, we learn that the measure of God's forgiveness towards us is evident by the measure of our forgiveness towards others. I'm going to say that again. The measure of God's forgiveness towards us is evident. There is a proof. There is a fruit of that to the extent and the measure by which we ourselves forgive others. You want to talk about how much you love Jesus? It's the proof is how much you love others. Now, that can be an amen or an oh me. If the shoe fits, don't wear it. Let's change it. Let the word of God minister truth to your heart today and let it uh, uh, bring about uh, enlightenment and begin to pave a path for forgiveness in our lives. And so this parable is widely taught to mean that we must forgive in order to be forgiven by God. Hear me clearly. That's not what Jesus is saying here. Oh, but what about verse 34, Pastor Jose? I'm so glad you brought that up. Let's put that up again, Gianni, please. Let's, let's, let's look at the words of Jesus, our Lord. He says, and his master was angry. He's talking about God, by the way. This is a parable. And the master here is God. It says, and his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that he owed. Notice something about the master. That the master did not torture him. The master gave him over to the very thing that was torturing him. And what was it that was torturing this man? What was it that was on his heart and on his mind? What was it that was uh, making him lose sleep? What was it that caused him to come outside of his Christian uh, 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 outward appearance, so to speak, and grab this guy by the neck and say, you're going to pay me all? What was it? It was unforgiveness. When we hold on to offense, when we crucify those when, and forget that our forgiveness was paid for through the crucifixion of Jesus Christ to a greater measure, when we hold on to offense and hold, off, hold our offenders and, and nail them to the wall, so to speak, what we fail to realize is this, that the one that's really stuck is us. It's you. It's me. It's us. Oh, but you don't understand what they've done to me. It's so unjust. You know what God said? He says, vengeance is mine. Vengeance is mine. And you know what the problem is when we choose to not forgive? Here's the problem when we choose not to forgive. That we ourselves become the very thing that we want to see change. See, what we see in this parable is that when we are unwilling to forgive, God's hands are tied. God's hands are tied. God can do nothing about our choice to not forgive. He's provided all the forgiveness, but we stop the flow of it unto another. And yet we're praying for them and say, oh, Jesus, please save them. Please change them. Something's not matching up there. That makes sense. And so we've all been there where someone says something. Hey, maybe you were there this morning. Maybe you're there right now. Right? 
And then you walk, and then you forget you just walked into the church. You go, hi, how are you? Bless you, brother. We've all been there when we were unwilling to forgive. We've all been there when someone doesn't live up to our expectations, our standards. We've all been there when someone outright aims to hurt us, lie to us. Someone who we trust backstabs us, talks behind our back, talks straight to our face. We've all been there where people have promised to change and no change happens. Or we claim to have forgiven, but we act like we'll never forget. And so we hold on to the offense. And every time we conjure it up or we see that person, we get those butterflies. We act in the supermarket like we didn't see them. And we turn the other way. All of a sudden, we're interested in radishes. Oh, please. Ugh. Like they're the next best thing to slice bread. Let me tell you what God's word says. I want you to hear God's opinion of this. Colossians chapter 3 verses 12 through 14 says this. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. I'm going to let that sit there for a moment because I think we all need to think about that. Verse 14, but above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. See, God's love makes a way for the complete work of forgiveness in our lives and in the lives of others, but that can only be possible according to what we do. Listen closely. According to what we do. When we choose not to forgive, we lock ourselves in hurt. We, we, we lock ourselves in anger and resentment and condemnation. It is not from God. It is our own issue. You might, so, you might say, well, how do I do that? How do I forgive to that extent? Well, let me encourage you with a couple of things. First off, don't look at how other people forgive. Don't look at your experience with forgiveness from other people. Because I can tell you that there have been times in my life where I've forgiven, I've, I've forgiven but I haven't really forgiven. Come on now, let's not be so spiritually minded that we're no earthly good here. Let's be real. See, what we, what we see here is that the issue isn't if we get offended because we all get offended at some point. We all get offended. The issue is what do we do when we get offended? How do we allow for the love of God to pave a path for forgiveness, not just uh, towards those who offended us, but to forgive ourselves and get past our own offense. Forgiveness is a two-way street. And so, God's love not only made a way to address our offenses, it also makes a way for us to address the offense of others. 
the offenses that we hold on to towards others. As we saw in the parable of Jesus, when we don't move past offenses and forgive, you know what happens? We become the offender. Hey, you and I are the offender when we do not forgive. How's that one? (laughs) How's that for some truth? Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. It says, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, in other words, go the other way. Repay evil with blessing. That sounds real good, right? Right? But watch, how, watch what's even better about this. Look at the second half, the last half of this verse. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Did you catch that? Instead of looking at the offense, we should look to the reward we reap in forgiving our offenders. We should see the value of what happens when we allow the love of God to wash over our own corrupted belief systems that we adopt sometimes that tell us, but it's not right, it's not just, I should be mad at him, I have every right to be mad at him. Well, tell me, How would you feel if that was the relationship you had with God today? Because we all dropped the ball. We all dropped the ball. Every last one of us. And yet God who is rich in grace and mercy has provided forgiveness unto eternity. See, when we look, when when we shift from looking at the offense to looking at the reward that it brings in terms of it being a blessing unto another and it opening a door for, great, for a greater experience of the inheritance of the blessing that's ours, when we do that, it not only blesses people, it blesses us, but it is a testament to this world. And so for the next couple of moments that I have here, I want to give you just some practical truths for forgiveness. Listen, this is a vast topic. We could preach months on this. So I can assure you that I am not going to cover everything that the word says. But I'm going to share with you some things that I've, I've, I believe the Lord put on my heart. Because what we need to understand is this, that getting past offense really isn't about the offender. It's about our own freedom. It's about walking in the freedom of the forgiveness that we ourselves enjoy and have available to us. And so, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the book of Philemon. It's towards the end of your Bible, right before the book of Hebrews. And I just want to give you some background here on the book of Philemon. This book is a letter from the Apostle Paul to a man named Philemon that he had discipled, that he had led, that he had raised in the ways of the Lord. And Paul addresses this man as a fellow laborer in the gospel. So here's what we need to understand about Philemon, that that's you and that's me, because we are all fellow laborers in this kingdom, according to this gospel. We all believe look to and are, are, are gleaning from these truths that 
have not only transformed our lives, but are still opening the path for transformation as we continue to move forward in faith. And Paul addresses the matter in this letter of a runaway slave of Philemon's whose name was Onesimus. Uh, Theologians uh, believe that he was accused of some sort of theft and he ran away from his master Philemon. But Onesimus was a man who Paul came to know while he was in chains. And Paul led this man to Christ and Paul discipled this man and Paul raised this man in the ways of Christ. Kind of like where you and I are, growing in Jesus. And so when it comes to offense, we usually look at it only from our perspective. Can we be honest about that? We look at how we've been offended. We look at the wrong that was done. We buy into the feelings and the emotions and the anger and the hurt and my pain and what they said about me and what they didn't do and how they're not responding. And and in the process, it's really about you. It's about me. It's not about addressing the offense. We're looking at it solely from our perspective. But in this short letter of known as Philemon, what we're going to see is something completely different. Because in this letter, we see the power of forgiveness for the offended and the offender. On one end, we're going to see a man named Onesimus, the offender. He's on the run. He lives with heartbreak, with the heartbreak of his actions and a relationship in shambles. On the other end, we have Philemon, the offended. He knows the love of God and loves those around him. But beneath the surface, there lies an unresolved offense. And to forgive it, listen closely, is a test of the power of the very love that he's received and by which he himself was forgiven. Both of these men were on either side of an offense. But as we'll see from this short letter, God's love can make a way for forgiveness and restoration regardless of the side that you find yourself on when it comes to unforgiveness. Let's turn our Bibles to Philemon Philemon chapter 1. It's only one chapter. We're going to look at verses 4 through 21. And I'm just going to read through this and break this down because we're running short on time. But starting at verse 4, he says, I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you. Let me just stop right there real quick and I want to point something out to you. That Paul is commending Philemon for his love for the saints. He's saying, man, you love people. You love people. You really do love people. But he points something out about unforgiveness in verses 4 through 7. See, forgiveness is possible when you don't define the person by what they have done to you, but by what God has done unto you. And so I want you to hear very clearly what Paul says in verse 6. He says that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. 
Did you see that effective faith has something to do with what God has done in you? Did you catch that? And many times when it comes to unforgiveness, what we do is we look at what people have done and we forget that we should first consider how God forgave us. How God loves us. How God sees us. Do you know that God does not see men according to the flesh, but according to the spirit? That's what the word says. Do you know that God so loved the world that he saw that we fell short of what we were originally created for, and he came as a man and died and rose again to pay a price so that we could be redeemed and restored to his original plan, despite our shortcomings? God didn't see us according to our shortcomings. You know what God saw when he came in the form of a man? He saw what we were created for, and he said, that's why I've got to pay this price. Philemon was good at loving and living his, by his faith amongst fellow believers. But as we see here, that same love and life of faith is necessary to forgive those who have offended us. Whoa. See, just like that wicked servant we read about in Matthew 18, it wasn't that he was wrong for being offended. He was wrong because he forgot the great extent of forgiveness for his own offense. He forgot that. The next time you get offended, can I encourage you with something? Remember what God did for you? And remember how God forgave you? Because we're called to live to the measure and stature of the fullness of Jesus Christ. Oh, but that's Jesus. No, that's you. As he was in this world, so are you. That's what the word says. Let's look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 real quick. 1 John 4, verse 7. It says, Beloved, we're going to read up to verse 11. Uh, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this... The love of God was manifested towards us. It was revealed that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Verse 10. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That simply means to exchange his life for ours to be the substitute for our lives. Verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. I want you to think about this. You can love and forgive when you keep at the forefront of your mind and in your heart that you have been and will be the offender at some point. But God loves you and forgave you anyway. I'm either boring you or I'm pulling on some strings here today. I want us to think about this. See, we got we to we consider something. That if, we're, if forgiveness is to be possible, then forgiveness is possible when you and I understand that it is more profitable. 
it is more profitable. Let me show you that from Scripture. Let's read on from verse 7. For we have great joy and consolation in your love. We're back in Philemon chapter 1. Because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, being such as one as Paul the aged and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. He says, I'm sending him back. You therefore receive him. That is my own heart. I'd like you to think about someone that once offended you. Or that you, you know, you were offended with. Maybe you're there right now. Let me ask you a question. How'd that profit you? What benefit was it to you to hold on to that resentment? To cling to that hurt? To lose nights of sleep? Because you were mad. How'd that work for you? Thank you. Absolutely it doesn't. It doesn't. And what I want you to see here is that Paul's saying, hey man, I know this guy ran away. I know he took something from you. I know that he offended you. He violated your home. He violated the culture. He violated how this is supposed to work. But I'm telling you that now, if you'll forgive him, not only will he be a prophet unto me, he'll also be a prophet unto you. There's more profit in forgiveness than there is in unforgiveness. In this case, the prophet was the restoration of a broken relationship. It was the prophet of Onesimus and Philemon's growth. It was the prophet of God using the resolving of their dilemma to give us all an example. So we could in turn live by this example. See, what you might not know about Onesimus is this. That church history records... That Onesimus one day came to become the bishop of the largest ministry in all of Macedonia. He was the one that took over after Timothy was no longer the pastor. How did that happen? How did a man who was a thief, who was a violator of trust, how did a man who lived under the grace of a household, though while the culture dictated that slavery in those days was acceptable, lived in the household of a man who was a believer. How did this man, who violated all that trust, who literally spit, so to speak, in the face of that grace, took off? How did a man so low come to be so exalted? Let me tell you how. Church history records that Philemon received Onesimus as a brother. And Onesimus came back and he grew amongst the brethren. And God exalted him. I want you to hear something very clearly here. God's power of forgiveness is available to all men. But there are some that aren't experiencing that and can't grow if we ourselves won't extend the very forgiveness that they struggle with the guilt and shame with. 
As we close here today, I want to close with a video. As the nation marks the anniversary this week of the Newtown, Connecticut school shooting, families of some of the 26 who were killed attended a vigil today at the National Cathedral in Washington. Prayers were offered for all of the victims of gun violence in this country, and that would include the five young Amish girls who were killed and five who were wounded just a few years ago in south-central Pennsylvania. Jeff Glor tells us that out of the horror of that school shooting has come a lesson in forgiveness. It's been seven years since Terry Roberts' life changed forever. In October 2006, her 32-year-old son Charlie walked into an Amish school in Lancaster County and shot 10 young girls before killing himself. I heard the sirens and saw helicopters. Then the phone was ringing and it was my husband. And he said, I need you to come to Charlie's house right away. And I got out of the car and I looked at my husband and these sunken eyes just saying, it was Charlie. That could not be. And yet it truly was. It was true. It was our son. Robert's initial reaction was that she had to move away. But the Amish came to her house the night of the shooting to say they wanted her to stay. Some of the victim's families attended her son's funeral. There are not words to describe how that made us feel that day. And then for the mother and father that had lost not just one, but two daughters at the hand of our son to come up and be the first ones to greet us. Wow, is there anything in this life we shouldn't forgive? Terry Roberts now shares this message with those who've experienced trauma. And every Thursday, she cares for the most seriously wounded survivor of the shooting, now 13. It's against Amish beliefs to appear on camera, so Donald Craighill often speaks on their behalf. You have this mother who raised a son that did this horrific damage to this young woman. And the mother has the courage and the spiritual fortitude to come back and to care for this uh, young woman. And the parents of the young woman welcome her into their home. It's a powerful, powerful story. Those families in Newtown who may still have understandably conflicted feelings now still less than a year later, what do you, what do you say to them? Ask God to provide new things in your lives new things to focus on, and that doesn't take the place of what is lost. But it can give us a hope and a future. A future made possible for Terry Roberts because of forgiveness. Jeff Glor, CBS News, Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. As we close here today, let's stand. I want you to see something. That forgiveness is possible when we see that it's free, but that it's also freeing. It's free and it's freeing. I want to read to you in Philemon chapter 1, verses six, uh, 15 and 16. As Paul is wrapping up this short letter to Philemon. He says, For perhaps he departed for a while. For this purpose, that you might receive him forever. Look at the power of forgiveness. 
no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, I leave you with a simple thought today. God's love has made a way for every area of our lives. For everyone in humanity. But that forgiveness is also meant to be rendered unto others. That people might no longer just be slaves to their own shame, their own guilt. But that they might become something more. Today, I want you to do something. Just bow your head where you're at. And I want you to reflect upon God's word and reflect upon this message from God's word. Hey, if there's someone that you've been holding on a fence to and towards, God's word to you today is I love you. And I created you to love others, to extend that forgiveness. Why not breed and breathe life into others? Why not release and forgive as we ourselves have been forgiven? Why not walk in true freedom where we understand how much we're loved, but we also love to that great extent?